Welcome to the Tweed Couch Guitar Therapy Session, where we talk about all things guitar related. My name is Dr. T, and I am not a licensed therapist, but I play one on a podcast. Today on the Tweed Couch, we are counseling on gear maintenance and backups, broken strings, burnt tubes, bad cables. These are all gear issues that can ruin a show. Of course, many of these problems can be prevented with proper maintenance of your gear, but sometimes these things just happen. This is why having good backups is important in the event of not just complicated problems, but catastrophic failure. But how often do you change tubes? What do you do with a scratchy pot? How often do you change strings? Should you do your own maintenance? When do you take it to a tech? And what is the worst gear fails on the road with Dr. T and John? Well, we will discuss this and more on this group therapy session with John on the Tweed Couch. Well, John, thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedule to have a seat with me on the couch once again. Oh, I'm feeling right at home here, Dr. T. There's like this one spot where like my butt cheeks sit perfectly on the couch. It's great. So Yeah, it's yeah. indented to you. Yeah. Much like your drum throne, right? Yeah. Jason's got his spot there. I got mine here. You know, we're all good. That's right. Lloyd, he's got his spot. Barber, he just takes the whole thing because he's left-handed. And Jason lays down. <laughs> and then there's Beth on top of all of that. And she is a presence in the room for sure. Exactly. For sure. And then Nick, he's just drinking in the corner with the, with the bourbon. <laughs> so, you know... To get on to subject, we're going to talk about gear maintenance, and few here actually know this, but aside from being a festival director and a hired gun drummer, you are also the owner of a backline company, so you get the whole idea of gear maintenance. Yeah, we do a lot of just maintaining gear. I mean, that's the whole idea of maintenance, right? But a lot of just seasonal maintenance, we have to go through guitar amps and make sure everything's working and inevitably you go through an amplifier you're like great everything sounds good you throw it back in its case you kick it out to the festival and then you know somebody opens it up and it doesn't work or something's wrong with it or yeah. whatever that's why you always have to have backups but we'll talk about that later yeah of course the biggest thing is constant maintenance especially tube amps and oh my gosh it's it's a lot oh absolutely so what is the name of your backline company by the way welcome place productions why did you choose welcome place A friend of mine, Jim, and I, when we were like in college, we decided to put on a concert and we needed a name for the company that did the sound and backline and stuff for it, basically to to get it going. Our church's slogan was, we're the welcome place. So we're like, welcome place productions. Boom. Slapped it on there. Jim made a logo. And now here 20 some odd years later, that's still the name of my company. So, Well, that brings us to probably story time for both of us because- I think that we should tell our number one biggest gear fail that we have ever experienced. Oh, there's so many. (laughs) I know. There is lots and lots. And you know what? Maybe this is just going to be a story-filled time of us telling horrible gear stories. I think I'm going to go ahead and start this time. Go for it. Because this is one that you and I both experienced together, but it was mostly (laughs) a fail on my part. I think you know which one this is. This was in Wichita, Kansas. Oh, that poor amplifier. <laughs> yes. I got up on top of your kick drum 
and we loaded the deck. Everyone was on stage. This is one of those events where there were two bands, and there was a speaker, and it was a weekend event. These were Quakes, which Life Promotions now runs, and we're up on stage, and everybody's singing along to the last song, and I get up on the kick drum, and I see my spot to jump off. And then I look at you, and we get to the big finish, and I go to jump off, and as I'm in midair is when I see someone standing in my spot, my landing pad. And so I do this amazing like flying squirrel in the air type thing to try and not kill the other guitar player. And as I land, not hitting her, instead, off balance, I start sliding on the stage and I knock over her guitar, I knock over some pedals, and I continue to slide off the stage, and you and I both know what caught my fall. It, it did stop your fall, yes. <laughs> yes. Was a Vox AC30 with the input jack that goes straight up, and my back went right across it, breaking the input jack and the cable and everything, and as I broke all of that apart, my back now has like scrapes on it and everything and that is a gear fail not just a show fail but a gear fail because now that amplifier has part of the input jack (laughs) broken off with the cable inside it and everything and i did fix it i did fix it for you you did and i would like to point out that it wasn't just an ac30 it was my AC30. Uh, going back to my backline company, these are the things that happen, right? This is why I have I have a yes. shop to fix stuff in. But yep. you took it because was it like the next weekend we were playing in Austin or something? So you had to take it, was, it with you and fix yeah, it. Yeah, it was before actually the next two show. weeks later. Oh, two weeks later. Yeah, it's, yeah. I drove it home, and then I fixed it. And then I met you in Austin with it. And then I used it again and I everything mean, was great. It was great. And now it's actually, ironically on that one, that's the C1. So it's the the yes. older AC30, but it's still the Chinese main one. Yeah. And it still has greenbacks. It, yeah. It had the greenbacks. It had the plastic input jacks and you put metal ones in it. So now it's actually, it's like upgrade. It's like a free mod on the, on the. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, and for those that are worried about the harm of the guitar that I knocked over, it was fine. There wasn't a scratch on it, yeah, as it was, opposed to me and the amplifier. It was it was like a PVT forty or something, wasn't it? One of those big old yeah, Bowmaker guitars. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, those are uh, fine. Man, you, They're yeah, fine. It was fine. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, how about you? What's your number one gear fail? My number one gear fail of all time. Okay, I have two. Uh, one is me as a as a stage manager, and one is me as a drummer. I'm playing a show, and it's three one hour set, three one hour and fifteen minute sets, but it's a four hour night. Halfway through the second song, my hi hat breaks. The pedal itself like just <laughs> falls apart, and I'm like, and what makes it worse for me is I knew this one wasn't like in the best shape. Like I took it out anyways. I took it out on the show. Right. Three going into the last three hours of our night, I no longer have a functioning hi-hat. And I know you all are guitar players, but think of it as like your your overdrive breaks. Like you don't have yeah. one of your main tools. It threw me off the whole night. It really just messed with me. Cause like 
the way your foot works, like you open the hi-hat a little bit and you kind of do a lot of dance, you know, call it kind of dancing on the pedals with it. It just, it wrecked me. That whole night was, was destroyed. And going in, this is why I bring it up on gear maintenance night, right? Because like, I knew it was bad. I knew it was bad. I thought to myself, as I put it in the case, the last night that I played it, I said, man, I got to take this home and fix it. And I put it in the case, closed everything up, threw it in the trailer. And then I didn't open it and touch it until I got to the next one. I'm like, I'll get one more out of it. And it was like the spring mechanism, like the whole thing just destroyed. So I literally had two sloppy hi-hats just sitting there all night. And it was, it really just, Oh my gosh. And those Um, are loud and sizzly and yeah. And there was no way to like lock it down and make it tight. And, and the little things like, you know, when you hit it, it just doesn't feel right if it's not closed all the way. And you know, so it was just, Anyway, oh, yeah. really- well, I mean, actually, you might even be able to say because you were able to continue the show, it would be almost like you had six strings. You happen to break the D string, but that's not the one you brought. So you just put another G string or A string and you're like, oh, man, it just it doesn't sound right. It doesn't feel right. But at the same time, it does get me through the set. And oh, my gosh. I, I've actually had it where it was a different gauge and it felt weird oh. because I had 10s on it, but for some reason I had 11s in my bag and it felt terrible. Absolutely terrible the whole night. I actually was running sound for a band and the bass player broke his low E string. He's like, what do I do? Because it was- Low E? The low E broke and he had a bur- he had a big burr on the saddle and he didn't oh have gosh. any idea what to do. And so during this set break, I go over and I'm like, what, do you, what are you doing? He's like, I don't know. I don't have any strings. And he was like, what do I do? And I said, well, just move them all down one. And he's like, really? You can do that? I said, it's going to not sound great, but it'll work. And we literally moved the A to an E, the D to an A, and the G to a D. And I'm like, <laughs> you got a three-string bass tonight. And he played it all night, and it worked just fine. I mean, obviously, oh, it didn't amazing. sound great because they're pretty floppy, no. but yeah. uh, but it did, it did function. The other one that I'll tell you about, and you might have been there for this. We talked about this last time where you guys played that huge pizza bash thing. Yeah. There was another band and I'll leave their name out of it. They were playing in the other part. They were like the opening band for the the other part of the show. This kid comes out, and I call him a kid. I mean, they were probably 20 years old. They were just a bunch of, bunch of young guys, and the guitar player's all talking. He pulls out this brand new Les Paul. Oh, yeah. And he's like, it's gold top. It looks gorgeous. You know, it's really nice. And he, he's got it on. He's like, man, this is the first time I'm playing this out. Like, I played it at one rehearsal, I bought this guitar, opens the case, pulls it out. I mean, it's got the cool little like pink, you know, covery thing on the guitar. Throws oh, it yeah. on, gets up on stage, and they're kind of a hard rock band. And they're doing their thing and they're just going, right? But it's it's an arena. So it's middle of the afternoon, but it's dark in there. The only light you can see is the band on stage. And I'm setting the stage because this is a very epic moment. Guys playing and playing and playing, and it comes time for the big like junk, you know, and he goes to do the guitar toss around his shoulders and back around in front and catch it and play it and you see this kid take this brand new les paul and he just goes whoop and it just kind of the strap lock breaks and it just shoots off into the darkness about three (laughs) rows up into the arena seating (laughs) and it's just gone i was standing on the side of the stage and i see it just go it goes right over our heads we just turn around and the guitar you can't you have no idea where it went and the kid's just standing there and he looks down and his guitar's gone he puts on his backup guitar, this little Epiphone that he had, Epiphone Les Paul or whatever. Quick plugged in, you know, just grabbed his cable because his wireless is gone. Like it's, oh, it, yeah. was, it was Everything's still on the strap. <laughs> and 
and the funniest part about it for me was you could see the strap like fluttering like the tail of a kite as the thing disappeared <laughs> into the darkness. One of the one of our stagehands like ran off to go help him find it and he picks it up and it was literally the like the strings are just holding onto the headstock and it's just swinging oh, and yeah. like the straps just all busted. And the nut had just fallen off on the strap lock is all it was. Oh my god. Because he didn't put Loctite on it or whatever and it was the first show with it. So dude literally played it for like three songs and then gone and it's gone and the whole and the guitar is just garbage and now it's our enjoyment to talk about oh my gosh i felt so bad for him (laughs) but anyway that was a pretty epic guitar fail so uh that's my favorite one of all time so this actually probably brings us to a wonderful time where we can kind of talk about some important maintenance things that we need to do because obviously gear fails happen and prevention is really key I mean, when it comes to anything, I mean, I understand I'm a chiropractor, I'm a teacher. If you prevent the problem before it ever happens, then it shouldn't happen. But if it does, you need to be able to handle it well. So first, let's go ahead and talk about what are some things that you maybe do to maintain your amplifier. Let's just say an amplifier. Obviously, you've got two different kinds, right? You've got the solid state stuff and you've got tube. Uh, right. And then you've got some of those hybrid-y ones like Valvetronics yeah. and- Yeah, Voxes. Valve State. Marshall. Whatever PV does, you know, I'm yeah, sure the, they've got something the band, too. The trans tube, you yeah. know, whatever that is. Yeah. Obviously, when you're talking tube amps, there's so many variables to it, right? You got to make sure the bias is correct. You can't just change a tube. Some people go, oh, there's a tube that's bad and they change it. Now, you can- right. But then you got to reset the bias. You got to make sure everything's good. And you got to know that the older tubes are going to fail and they're going to cause the new tube to fail faster than all new tubes. So, right. The number one thing that I would say about tube amps is, or amps in general, or whatever you're dealing with, is find your guy. Like some people know how to fix things. Like, you know, you fix the jacks on the. On the, on the guitar amp, I can fix jacks right. on the guitar amp. I can replace tone pots. I can do those types of things. But when it comes to tubes and caps and pots and all that kind of stuff, I've got my guy. I live in Appleton, Wisconsin. I take it to my guy. Um, and what I do specifically on the tube amps is I've got them on a schedule because, again, I own a backline company. So I've got lots and lots of amps. But I put them on a schedule and I try to say, you know what, at least every other year, these amps should be checked out by a professional. And they go yeah. through them, they clean them, they make sure that they're ready to go. Sometimes, uh, Kurt is a guy's name, he'll be like, oh, this one needs to be retubed. Okay, great, I'll pay the, you know, whatever the amount of money is, because it varies. But but right. making sure that they stay maintained. If you've got a guitar amp, though, the biggest thing that I can tell you is go buy a can of Deoxit. You can still get this stuff at Guitar Center or oh, yeah. wherever, wherever you do your shopping. Like Amazon. Uh, <laughs> Amazon, yeah. Yeah, Home uh, Depot. Musicians Friends. Yeah. yeah, Home Depot's got it. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's just, it's contact cleaner is what it is. And oh yeah, spray the pots, keep it clean, those types of things. Other big thing that is a huge no-no, especially up here. I mean, I know you're down in Texas and you get that one ice storm a year. But up here in Wisconsin, people leave their amps out in the cold. I joke, like, don't ever leave your amp where you would leave your dog. Like, you know, <laughs> it's too cold. <laughs> you know, keep... Keep your amps inside, man. Keep them warm. You don't want to. You don't want yeah. them to get cold, because that hot and cold yeah. and stuff really does mess with the electronics. Yeah, it does. But if it does have to get cold, which I mean, we do shows in the wintertime, right? You throw everything in the trailer, oh, yeah. it gets cold. You got to pull it out. Let it warm up, especially a tube amp. Like, don't just fire that bad boy on as soon as you get it inside. Yeah. Let them warm up. Let them breathe a little bit. You know. 
Yeah. You don't want to play chords right after getting in out of sub-zero weather. You want to just, just let it go a little bit. Let That's right. Just let it go. Yeah, you get it some hot chocolate. Yeah. You know, maybe maybe get a, give it a little nip from the bottle. Yeah. You know, exactly. let it be okay. Let it be okay. Well, I'm with you. And actually, I agree on the whole idea that tubes are really their own animal. So any tube amp, whether it be KT66s, EL34s, EL84s, 6L6s, 6V6s, all those tubes have different prices. All those tubes require different maintenance, really, because some of those big bottle tubes are more fragile than the small bottle tubes and all that kind of stuff. And actually, that brings up an interesting story for me. I remember coming to LifeFest back in like 2007 and I had a Dr. Z Maz Jr. And it was this beautiful black Tolexed salt and pepper cloth Dr. Z 18 watt with reverb. It was absolutely amazing. And I love the way it sounded. And I brought it to LifeFest because I was like, this is going to be awesome. Even though LifeFest will have backline for certain artists of certain calibers, for the most part, there's always something good. And I showed up with it. And sure enough, it was dead on arrival. Yeah. It worked fine. Stuck it in the trailer. Got to the place. Got to the venue. And now all of a sudden, it'll turn on, but it'll make no sound. And the issue ended up being the Sovtech 12AX7 LPS, which is like some sort of a special thing that Sovtech did. And it sounded great, except for when it didn't work and then it didn't sound right. And so now all of a sudden, thank goodness you guys had an AC30, which you let me borrow, probably the one I broke later. But anyway, (laughs) that thing shows up. I played it. It sounded great. Everything was good to go. Interestingly enough, I used that same amp probably about three months later at another venue, stuck it in the trailer, everything's good to go. We show up, and sure enough, the Softech 12AX7 LPS was bad again. It was a different one, but now this one's bad. And ultimately, I was like, you know what? I can't handle this. This is not reliable. And so I put a different tube in there, didn't have a problem for over a year until I sold it. <laughs> what people may not understand how tubes are... Picture taking a row of like old school incandescent light bulbs, hang yeah. them upside down in a trailer and see how many of them work when you get to the next destination. Now, tubes are a little <laughs> yeah. less, they're not as fragile as, as light bulbs, yeah. but that's essentially what it is, right? I mean, but it's it a- depends. I mean, you think about it, a lot of those combo amps, those tubes hang down. Yep. So gravity, bouncing of the trailer, all that stuff is pushing them down. Now, tube heads... They're usually the other way around. Yeah, they're so like my in. Marshall, I never had an issue with. Yep. Mesa Boogie, the heads, I never had an issue with. That's not to say that you won't have issue with heads. What I'm saying is that gravity works against you. And sometimes it's just that, right? Like it gets jostled, and some of the tubes get loose. Some of the tube sockets aren't good. That's why, like yeah. I said, I have my I have my tube amps on a rotation now. I own 22 different tube amps. You know, I've got Marshalls, and I've got Foxes, and I've got. Fender amps, even bass rigs. I've got SVT classics. They're yep. all tube amps. They've all got big tubes in them, and some of them have a lot of tubes. I've got a couple of Mesa Boogie heads that, I mean, there's nine tubes in that stupid thing. Oh, yeah. So they're expensive. All the channel switching. But having them on a, in a rotation where you know that someone's looking at them, specifically, they'll go through, they'll pull the tubes out, they'll check all the tube sockets, make sure they're not loose. There's a lot of little connections in there, and if one of them fails, 
you may still get sound, but all of a sudden it's not going to sound right. I've had people say, this AC30 doesn't sound right. And I'll walk yep. in front of it and be like, still making noise, right? Like, it's still good. But they're like, it doesn't sound like it did an hour ago. Okay, great. Well, let's let's troubleshoot it. Oh, sure enough. You know, one of the 12AX7s is bad or one of the 6L6s yeah. is bad or whatever. Or sometimes I've actually had it with Fender amps specifically because I don't know why Fender does this, but there's like no protection between the tubes and the back of the amp, right? Like you're shoving pedals and cables and stuff in the back of the Fender Hot Rod Deluxe or Fender Deluxe Reverb and there's nothing. Like the tubes are just hanging out in there. And Mesa does the same thing. It really kind of annoys me. They've got like a bar across it, like that's going to protect the tubes from, oh, yeah. you know, just whatever. Just a single bar yeah. <laughs> that actually is more for someone kicking it from behind, not anything that might be in the back of the amp. Yeah. I've actually had tubes explode and get broken when a guy was wrapping an XLR cable and the end kind of flipped up and it just like, oh, it, no. it just popped a tube. You heard it like explode. And I'm like, well, yeah. take that amp out of service for the rest of the festival. That's gone. So you run into that a lot. Now, solid state. Solid state amps, completely different story. Typically oh, yeah. way more reliable, right? Like, because I mean, oh, yeah. It's a circuit board. It's a circuit board and a power supply. Like, you turn it on, yep. it works. But they do get hot on those circuit boards. And the number one thing that I've, I've run into, this is back when I used to work at a music store too. The number one problem that I have is people don't clean their amps. They get full of dust, they get full of dirt. This is back when yeah. smoking was still in bars. So guys were taking them out and, You'd open the back of the thing and it would look like the inside of a vacuum cleaner bag. And you're like, oh, yeah, hey buddy, you should probably clean this. That's why you just burned up half the circuit board. Yeah. Things like that. You need to maintain them. And this doesn't even get into I mean, you and Lloyd had a great conversation about speakers, but yeah, know, speakers need maintenance, too. Right. Like you got to make sure that, oh, yeah. you know, cones aren't getting I mean, they're just cardboard. Right. At the end of the day. Yeah. Actually, that brings up an interesting point, because if I've played a lot of outdoor shows and I've been doing a whole festival run, I would take the speaker out and I would clean it. Like I would take just like a a lightly damp cloth, just regular water, and I would just wipe the cone because that stuff gets set on it. And I mean, you would be surprised the amount of junk that gets stuck on the cone. And keep in mind, the reason why you get the tone you get is because of the speaker's ability to move back and forth because of the way that magnet moves that electrical impulse. So if that cone doesn't move real well because you've got dust, dirt, grime, rain, you know, the sediments in the rain, all that kind of stuff, then you're really selling your tone short. Or possibly making it better. I mean, maybe (laughs) some things sound better with that. I don't know. But either way, yeah, clean the cone is really actually quite important. And uh, I'll give a little pro tip. Flushable wipes. Oh, yeah. So like baby wipes, but not like the the big box of like Mickey Mouse ones or whatever. The flushable ones have less liquid on them, so they're not really wet. And less soapy. Less soapy, and it's alcohol-based. So it dries right away. When you wipe off electronics and do those types of things with specifically the flushable wipes, you can clean up an amp really well and not have to worry about it like getting the cone wet or full of soap or any of that kind of stuff. Or even some of the electronics on the back. Again, dust and dirt, I mean, are terrible for tubes. You should never touch a tube like you're supposed to use gloves or whatever when you do it. Wiping your amp down, cleaning the back of your amp, flushable wipes evaporates really fast and all that kind of stuff. So there's my little pro tip for you from a dad. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. That's pretty (laughs) awesome. 
cleaning your amplifier in general, just making it look nice. I mean, that's just, that's cosmetic. Yep. But at the same time, if you're taking the time to clean it off and dust it off, you're probably maintaining it well. So that goes to the maintenance. Yeah. And not even to say people who want to move gear, but a lot of people like to move gear. You know, if you've listened to this podcast, you've certainly heard certain people who like to move gear a lot. Um, Absolutely. You know, after he's chasing his next Keith Urban tone or, uh, you know, Brad yeah. Paisley tone or whatever. Yeah. N- uh, not calling anyone out. Right. Nobody. No. Yeah. Nobody in particular. No. Although you're hitting all the bingos. Right, I'm just I'm working telling on you. It. I've got my like card right in front now. of me. <laughs> okay, perfect. <laughs> uh, anyway, but you got to work it in seamlessly, right? That's how that works. You can't you can't yell bingo if you just, you know, say Paul Tejan and, you know, move on with life. Yeah, well, actually, it's my brother, Paul. Oh, so that, there's that. Yeah, there it has to be that. Oh, dang it. I just did it. Oh, Yahtzee. <laughs> yeah. Yahtzee. No, wait, that's the wrong game. No, it's not Yahtzee. You're in the wrong game. <laughs> um, but if you have like... And there's the belly laugh. Perfect. Got it. Oh my gosh. But if you're if you're looking to move gear or, you know, obviously it increases the overall value of equipment, which is I mean, gear goes up in price, right? Like good gear continually goes up in price. It always costs oh, yeah. more. Every AC30 I've ever bought is worth more now than what I paid for it. Yeah. Um, and that's after you made money off of it. Right. That's after I've rented it for, you know, some of these I've owned for, well gosh, yeah, 07 that 15, probably was one 20 of my AC30s. years. And they still work and they still sound great. And I've put a bunch of money into them, keeping them that way. But there's one thing I'd be amiss if I didn't share as far as maintenance is concerned. And it's the most ultimate form of preventative maintenance. And that's buying a case if you travel Uh. with your equipment. If you're a road gigging musician, there's absolutely no reason that you should not budget when you go to buy a new amplifier to buy a road case for it. Some fashion, some form. I know these guys who have like these quilted almost like packing blanket covers. Great. If you're putting it in the back of your car and then carrying it into the venue, that's perfect. Fender amps, I know, come with them typically. You can get the the little slip yeah. covers for them. Um, but if you're like on the road or you're constantly putting it in and out of a trailer, there's no reason that you shouldn't own a, own a road case for it. You just yeah. need a budget. It's just part of owning an amplifier. Should be yeah. a road case for it. That's the only way I've kept my stuff in working condition for years. Well, speaking of things that are cased... I think oftentimes when people think of cased things, they think of guitars. Yes. Because I agree with you. A case, especially a nice hard road case for an amplifier, was life-saving for my vintage Marshall amp that I took on the road. So I think that a case for a guitar also goes there. So is there anything special you do to maintain a guitar in your arsenal of backline so regardless of how often a guitar gets played in my arsenal i try to make sure it has decent strings on it much like the amplifier rotation through the technician i mean that's a couple of years right every couple of years i make sure that they get completely worked over i do the same with guitars too because obviously if i get a call tomorrow saying hey man i need your i need your fender strat or i need your you know i need your bass or i need this or whatever I can't be like, oh, I got to go run to my luthier and have him clean it and fix it and all these things. Like, if it's not ready to go, I don't have a company, right? Like, I don't have the ability yeah. to do that. So even even if I'm not playing it a lot, even if it's living in a case for six months, eight months, whatever it is, or hanging on the wall for, you know, six months, like, I want to make sure that they have good strings on them. I want to make sure that they're tuned up. I want to make sure that they're intonated. It's all those little things that keep the instruments 
A, holding their value, but B, always being show ready. You can't just pick up a guitar that's been hanging on a wall for a year that no one's touched, right? It's going right. to be out of tune. It's going to be all this. It, you know, The neck tension isn't right. Now, the flip side is if you're going to have a guitar hang on a wall for a year and you know that's the case, you should down tune it. You know, you shouldn't leave constant tension on the neck and stuff like that. Acoustic guitars. I know even my tailor, the tailpiece is coming up just a little bit because it's 20 years old. Yeah. And it's always ready to be played. So, you know, tune it down a half step when it's just going to sit in the case for a long time. Those types of things. Yeah. I mean, you're the guitar player, right? I mean, that would be... You, <laughs> yeah. You've got, well, you got that, the arsenal on the wall. That's true. I do have a lot on the wall, but I do play them quite a bit. I make sure that I, they get their rotation. They get their love. If they're not getting their love, then I get rid of them. That's back to the thinning the herd episode that we ended up doing. But for the most part, for me, I got to the point, and actually I mentioned this in a different podcast about why strings break. I talked about a confession I had, which was I had some guitars that had not had a string change in six years or more. (laughs) And... I get that some people are like, how could you do that? But at the same time, I also have like 20 guitars. So there are some of them that they just sound good still. So, I mean, I don't have real sweaty hands. I don't bend until they break. I'm not really abusive with the guitars. At the same time, I've also kind of changed things over the last year. Doing the podcast called me out on some of the stuff that I did that I felt a little bit like a hypocrite. because. I know you should change strings, yet I didn't do it. And so ultimately, I've started to change strings. Now, when I do it, I also go to take care of the entire guitar. So I now will lubricate the saddles and I'll lubricate the nut. I'll also check the tuners, make sure that they're all tight and everything's exactly where it's supposed to be. I'll go ahead and oil or wash the fretboard, even though... Some of them need oil and some of them don't. I'm not going to oil more than like once a year. But at the same time, some of those things don't need oil. Like my Fender maple boards don't need oiled. My Rich Light fretboards, I mean, that's a paper. So (laughs) I essentially just need to like take some soap and water to it. But my Ebony and my Rosewood, like I'll go ahead and oil those. But I won't put a ton of oil on. I'll just do a little bit. You know, I'll make sure that I wipe the finish down and do my best to, you know, like really take care of underneath the pickups. I'll take the pick guard off. I'll take the scratch plate off and I'll actually clean under there with it. And I'll do a lot of these things. And I'll also, and this is a little bit of a public service announcement for whenever you're going to clean the guitar. PSA people, don't use lemon pledge. (laughs) I get it. They say it's a wood product. It's meant for wood. It keeps the shine forever. But it also has things that will add to the finish to make sure that it does that. So use an actual guitar finish polish because they're designed for those things. Use what they're designed for. I I don't use a guitar as a drumstick. You should not use a guitar for a drumstick. Don't use Lemon Pledge for your guitar so i'll do a lot of those things make sure that the strap buttons are really tight you know obviously in your fail (laughs) that guy did not check the strength of the strap button and so you know i'll make sure that they're tight and if they're not tight i mean i might shove a toothpick in there just in the hole and then re-screw in the screw 
it gets a, enough teeth on it that all of a sudden it'll hold. And so those are a lot of things that I'll end up doing to guitars to kind of keep them in check. Now, I know how to do those. There are things I don't know how to do, like refret. I'm paying somebody to do a refret. Yeah. If the finish isn't good, I'm paying somebody to redo the finish. If something's messed up and it really bothers me, I'm paying somebody else to do that. I do have one more story. I'm I'm, going to throw (laughs) this out there. This is a fail on my side. I was in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I was playing my Paul Reed Smith Classic Electric 22, which is from 1996. It's a beautiful black guitar with natural binding and has the Dragon 1 pickups, a tremolo, and it's, it's gorgeous. It's a beautiful guitar. I was playing it, and it was time to switch over to a different song where I use single coils. So I run over, and I put the guitar on the double guitar stand. And I grab the other guitar off. As I'm walking up, I don't have a wireless system. The cable catches the guitar stand and it knocks it over. Now, I don't realize it happened. I'm like, eh, whatever. You know, like I just grab the guitar. I go, I start playing. I get done with the song. I turn around and I look and there's the Paul Reed Smith laying down on the ground. And I'm like, oh, crap, it fell. You know, whatever. And I go pick up the guitar, and when I pick it up, I notice a huge chunk of the wood on the neck gone. Because when the guitar fell, it ended up hitting the drum riser. And that right there is my epic fail with my Paul Reed Smith. So what did I do? I called Lloyd. (laughs) You know, (laughs) naturally, you call the handyman who plays guitar, and I said, what do I do? And he said, you know what? Wood glue is stronger than the bond of wood itself. Just use some wood glue. You'll be fine. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't know. Should I do that? And I probably should have sent it to a luthier. But sure enough, I had the piece of wood that got like chipped off of it. And I glued that thing back on. And I'll be honest, I don't really notice. I don't notice it ever. I see it. It's definitely noticeable, but I don't feel it. And that's pretty awesome. Like, I forgot about it until just now when I started telling the story. (laughs) So when it comes to maintenance, I think that a big thing that we need to understand when it comes to guitars is that really, once again, if you stay preventative, if you do the things, you understand how mechanics work. You understand that the string has to glide. You understand that the action needs to be set right. With acoustic guitars, you need to make sure that that bridge is actually settled and seated ultimately you have a guitar that stays in tune and if you have a guitar that stays in tune that's step one step two is that it plays nice and then step three is that it's inspirational and that's really all you're looking for even if you just have some sort of a, a backline company that you're trying to supply gear for right the number one thing i think as far as maintenance is concerned and this goes to your string conversation what is your outcome? Like, what is your, your goal in playing? Like if you're a professional musician, you should assume you're changing the strings after every show, right? Like you should just have that in your budget. Yeah. If you're a weekend warrior, maybe you get by every couple of weeks. If you're a guitar hanging on the wall kind of guy, maybe you don't have to change them about once a year, you know? Yeah. It really all does depend. If you are looking for a way to help support the Tweed Couch and it costs no money to you, then check out our YouTube channel and become a subscriber. 
Also, you can tell someone about the podcast and share an episode with them. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Let's hear from our sponsor. Are you looking for a party with a purpose? If you love music, if you love family-friendly, if you love camping, then you should look into LifeFest. LifeFest is one of the largest Christian music festivals in America and draws attendees from across the United States to worship together, deepen their faith, and strengthen relationships with family and friends. This three-day event features dozens of artists, engaging seminars, and much more. This year, in 2021, we have two festivals. Come join a party with a purpose in Oshkosh, Wisconsin on July 8th through 11th or on the Johnny Cash Hideaway Farm in Bon Agua, Tennessee on July 29th through 31st. I'll see you there. So do you ever rent out your pedals? I do have a pedal board um, that I think you might have used once or twice. I have used it twice. Yeah, I remember using it. And it, it's mostly boss pedals. And yeah, I've got a whenever you don't want to fly with it, whenever you don't want to yeah. do anything, whenever you have something break, man, that thing's been great. It's a tuner. It's an overdrive. It's got a like an OD2 on it and a blues driver. And there's a couple of delays on it. It's basically that the you know the airline lost my pedal board. <laughs> I need yeah. something other than the guitar tones. Great. Here you go. Yeah. And then I, I use it personally, right? Like when I play my, play by myself or, or play, um, you know, I, I enjoy making noise and, you know, using the pedals and oh, yeah. having fun with it. As you should. As I should. Yeah. I, I'm like, I'll be honest with you, with all the listeners we have, I would say that most people are probably hobbyists. Yeah. That just love guitar. They love what is going on. And the fact that we're talking about maintenance, they're like, yeah, we can talk about maintenance. I don't care. I just love yeah. hearing about guitar, especially from a drummer. Yeah, exactly. Um, the coolest <laughs> pedal I have, though, is a Governor, the original, like the one from the 80s. Yes. The Marshall I remember Governor that pedal. One. That's yes. a fun pedal. No shade on the on the Governor 2, which is the, the silver one that they put out a couple years ago. But um, yeah. this one just, it sounds right. Like, it sounds like it should. It's basically, it's a preamp from a JCM 800. I mean, that's oh, what, yeah. the whole idea behind it. It was their goal to make a Marshall in a box. And unfortunately, what happened was they tried to make a Marshall in a box that worked well with a Marshall. Yeah. And I went, but people don't want a Marshall in a box with a Marshall. They want a Marshall in a box with a Fender. And right. So, <laughs> so it's missing some of that. But at the right. same time, it's a good pedal on its own. Yeah, it's just a cool, it's a cool overdrive. But same kind of deal. I mean, like. If I had a dime or a dollar for every band member that's ever like had an hour fit with their pedal board and it's one of those little jumpers, you know, the tool right angle, you know, three inch board or whatever. So as a backline guy and as a festival guy, I literally order the bucket of them. You know, you can get them from Dunlop or whatever. I just keep a pile of those things around because when it fails, it can ruin your show. And if you don't have one to, to replace it, you're you're ripping a pedal out of the board and trying to move stuff around. And yeah, um, but it's you know it's always that weakest link, right? Like there's there's all these little things that fail from from time to time, and you just got to be ready for them. But absolutely, my number one thing on pedals, as long as you brought pedals up, is batteries. Most people obviously use power supplies. Yeah, but if you're not using a pedal for a while, make sure you pull that battery out of there because there's nothing worse. Then that battery getting old and corroding and, and it'll just ruin your pedal in a heartbeat. 
So yeah, actually, I have a Maestro Fuzz Tone FZ1, which is the original Gibson Satisfaction pedal, and I left the AA batteries in too long, mm. and it corroded the crud out of it, and I had to like wipe it, try to clean it with uh, some baking soda and some water, which actually works quite well for cleaning it. And then once I got done cleaning it, it still was not quite right. And so I had to actually take a soldering iron and just kind of melt stuff around it and and do something to kind of try and fix the issue. Ultimately, it ended up working, but, you know, it's it's one of those things. Yeah, you don't want to just leave the batteries in stuff especially if you're not using it all the time, which, of course, goes down to maintenance. You know, if you're going to maintain something, you definitely want to make sure that it's going to work in the pinch when you need it to work. Yeah. And again, going back to deoxid, I mean, pedals are, they're all tone pods, right? I mean, obviously digital ones, you know, you get some of those. But even like the the M9s and stuff, the switches, I mean, they're all contacts. So a little squirt every once in a while keeps things lubricated, keeps things working. Because um, you can get yeah. deoxid with, with lubrication as well. Yeah, there's the deoxid D5 and the F5. And yep. one of those, and I can't remember which one, is lubricated and the other one is not. I believe the F5 is lubricated. I think you're right. Well, I'm glad that you mentioned the whole idea of using deoxid. Because to me, I've found that a number of times the switch, if it's not working all the time... You throw some deoxid in there, and all of a sudden, that switch works. If you have a scratchy pot, whether this be an amp or it be a pedal, that deoxid will do a ton of things. Now, occasionally, I will have a jack be a problem, and yep. sometimes it's the contact. Like, you can just bend the jack, and it'll be fine. But other times, it's a cold solder joint, and those mm-hmm. are easy things to fix. You just... Add a little bit of solder to it or just touch it with a hot siren iron and that hot soldering iron will just melt it away and everything's good to go. But other than that, I don't really have a whole lot of like maintenance things to pedals other than I like a pedal board to look good. If you sing, your spit ends up on the pedal board. (laughs) If you are playing in the mud then your pedal board needs some TLC. If you have not dusted or done anything to get rid of all the junk, you should do something. And all of those things goes to the maintenance of a pedal board because part of it is not just the function, it's also the look. And I get it. Some people are like, I want my pedals to look dirty and nasty and broken up. Yeah, great. That's awesome. But when that dirt gets into the pedal, you are not going to love the look of that pedal. Yeah. Now, some people, their pedal boards don't last long enough uh, to get dusty. Oh, you calling out somebody else? You throwing some more shade? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, sometimes the pedal board doesn't even stay together long enough uh, to, to get yeah, dusty and dirty. But for most gigging musicians, you're constantly putting it out there. And like you said, cold so- learning how to solder, I think, is the number one skill that any musician whether you're a weekend warrior, you're a hobbyist, or you're a pro, you should at least own a decent soldering iron. Not like the cheapo one, not the the most inexpensive one. Go get a nice Weller. Get yourself a nice soldering iron. And 
just Google it, right? Like, I mean, back when you and I started playing out, there wasn't YouTube. You you kind of no. learned from somebody. Maybe yeah. Lloyd showed you how to do it or, or your dad showed you how to do it, whatever. Just YouTube it. Just go to Google and be like, how do you touch up a solder joint on a Boss Metal Zone pedal? And there's, right. there's YouTubes for that. Like, you just look it over and, like you said, sometimes it's a contact within a circuit board and it's just loose and that's what's causing the problem. You literally touch it and you're up and running as opposed to yeah. going and paying somebody 40, $50 to, to do it, to fix it for you. And you know, and, and not being afraid to do it is actually also another big key because there's a lot of people I know that are afraid. They're like, Oh man, I don't know. Like it's a little scratchy. I don't know what to do. Well, there's been a number of times that just simply melting the solder got rid of the whole oxidation that was happening. Yep. And sure enough, it worked fine for years before anything else. Or I could just take it to a pedal guy and about $80 later, it's fine. (laughs) Yep. The key is, as long as you don't touch the soldering iron directly to the circuit board and melt the plastic of the circuit board, that pedal guy or that technician can always fix it. Yeah. As long as you don't melt the plastic of the circuit board... You're not going to do damage that can't be fixed. So, Well, and um, even with that, there has actually been a time where the circuit board has actually had its issue yeah. and it melted and I went, oh, crud, what do I do? Well, what you do is you just move a wire from that spot to another and solder it. And then it's point-to-point wiring. Because that's what a circuit <laughs> board is, a point-to-point, but it's already built into a circuit board. So I'm just saying, like, it's really not as complicated as everybody makes it. Now, at the same time, nobody wants to burn a circuit board, melt a circuit board. Well, I guess that probably brings us to final thoughts. So a few final thoughts that I have is, first of all, I think what we've touched on is prevention is key. If you're going to make sure that you are maintaining the gear you need to think in the thoughts of prevention. Whether it be a tube amplifier, make sure that you have good tubes, make sure that the solder joints are good, make sure that the pots have plenty of play in them and all that kind of stuff. Also, make sure you have good backups. Like I think that we've kind of touched on that a number of times, that in the event that you happen to lose a guitar string, you happen to lose a guitar, you happen to lose a pedal or an amplifier, having a good backup, that's pretty darn important. Ultimately, I think that it's all in how you react and you survive to the problem. Because mm-hmm. when you have something happen, when your maintenance wasn't good enough, if you react poorly it's going to reflect on you poorly and it's going to reflect on your band poorly. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest takeaway for me is think about what you can't do a show without and what you're willing to not be able to do, if that makes sense. If you're a gigging musician, if you're out there and someone's paying you to show up at their place and play a show, you have to be able to pull off your show. So have the extra guitar, Maybe you pulled out your brand new Les Paul and you're playing it on stage and it just flew off stage and destroyed. <laughs> you should Looking have like the, a kite flown in the wind. <laughs> you should have the old Epiphone on the stand ready to go. Yeah. If you are playing a gig and half the PA goes out, you should have some way to keep the show going. And 
you know, most most promoters specifically will forgive you limping a show along if you had a catastrophic failure of something because you were able to keep the show going, even if it was limping along. All of these are things that I've actually experienced. All of these are things that we've gone through on the road. You and I have, have a ton of shows under our belts together and separately. Oh, yeah. The number of things that have just failed epically. Your job as a musician is to give people who are watching you an experience. And if you can't do that, you have to look at either how you're maintaining your gear or what you have as spares. Absolutely. Well, that concludes our time of the Tweed Couch Guitar Therapy Session. If you like what you heard, leave five stars in a review. Also, don't forget to check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Tweed Couch. Until next time. 